Good morning. It's great to have you here in person, and it's great for those that are joining us online here as well. We want to just welcome you. Now, this morning, I am not preaching. Actually, this past week, uh, Pastor Greg Morn, as I'm going to introduce him, showed, came to our area, and I said, Greg, are you on vacation? He said, no, I'm seeking God. He said, great, you can come and preach on Sunday in our church. So he was willing to do that for us, and I'm delighted to have him here. So why don't we stand this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer, and we're aware of many, many needs in people's lives. And, uh, you know, even though we're going through this hour, uh, the season of time, there are many other needs beyond what's happening with COVID. How many recognize that? There are people battling cancer in our church family. There are people struggling with relational issues. There are people dealing with financial challenges. There's lots of challenges in people's lives. And so we're going to lift them all to God. Aren't you glad that we can cast our cares on him? Because the scripture says he cares for us. And I believe that when we cry out to God, God is listening to our cry and he's interested in every element of our lives. And that's, that's so significant to me that God could care for 7 billion people and uh, he can handle that. You know, some of us, we couldn't, you know, we have a hard time handling ourselves, right? But God can handle all these people with all their needs. So let's lift our hands to God. Let's just cast these concerns before him. Lord, you know the challenges that are before us as human beings. You know what's happening in our personal lives. You know what's happening in people that we love. There are people around us that are battling cancer. Some are dealing with uh, just a myriad of illnesses. There's some struggling with relational uh, tensions in their lives. There's some struggling, Lord, with financial pressures. Whatever these issues are, Father, we want to bring them before you. And then we pray today that we would hear your voice that you would speak into our lives, that we would not just be uh, information gatherers, but Lord, that we would have wisdom from above, that we would be able to discern what you're speaking specifically and uniquely to us as an individual, as well as to us collectively as a church family. And we just want to thank you for that. And we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I've already mentioned who Greg is. Greg is uh, the lead pastor at Mournville uh, Church. It's called um, the Father's House. Thanks, Greg. Uh, so it's really a delight to have him here. And I, you know, I realized something. I've had you speak at camps, but I've never had you speak in our church. I figured uh, it was because of what you heard at the camp. That... Oh, <laughs> no, I should have done it a lot sooner is what I'm getting at. So I'm so delighted you're here. That's after I heard this first sermon, I said to the congregation, I've been trying to say this for two years, and he comes along and says it in one sermon. So I'm looking forward to hearing it again. Thanks, buddy. Well, it's a phenomenal uh, honor to be here to preach the word of God to you. I count that as the highest calling I have in my life is uh, the privilege of communicating with God's people. You know, I just want you to understand that if you're giving me half an hour to communicate into your life, that I have to multiply that half an hour by the number of people listening to me. And that's the number of kingdom hours that God is entrusting to me. You're that important that I have to take that ex exceptional privilege to be able to communicate together with you here today. So thank you, Pastor Paul, for inviting me to do this today. I want to talk to you about love breaking through culture. And uh, that's an amazing thing. Culture, this is according to Wikipedia. 
uh, is an umbrella term which encompasses the social behavior and norms found in human societies, as well as the knowledge, beliefs, and its laws, customs, capabilities, and habits of the individuals in those groups. So culture is what we make of the world. And culture is all around us all the time. You throw a rock in any direction, you're hitting culture. Every single human being you encounter has a culture that they understand and they live from and they live within. Even in the church, we have a culture. But just think about the cultures in our, in our world, the civilization and societies, there's religious cultures, there's science. How about climate change, flat earth, creationism, Darwinism, evolution, all these things create a culture around them. There's race and gender and age. There are social movements that create cultures. In our lifetime, we've seen Black Lives Matter, woke, uh, feminism, LGBTQ, pro-life, pro-choice. All of these things are culture. They bring culture with them and they bring all of those incredible understandings. And again, if we throw a rock in any direction, we're going to hit culture. Every single human being you meet lives in a cultural context. And the church is no different. Even Jesus' time, this is not something new, just so we're aware of that. In Jesus' time, he had two dominant cultures. There were all kinds of other cultures, but there were two dominant cultures. And by the way, you know, many cultures can be very passive. They just kind of present themselves. And, but other cultures can be very aggressive and almost controlling. And so in Jesus' day, these were two aggressive cultures that intimidated, that brought fear, that used force. The first being the Roman culture. And the Roman culture, of course, was the ruling culture of the, of the, the political structures and atmosphere that happened all around Jesus' life. And then the second culture that was also a very uh, strong culture was the extreme religious culture of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, they are amazingly interesting because they claimed to represent the culture of the kingdom of God. And so one of Jesus' actions and attitudes when he arrived was to say, God is nothing like them. And so that's what we want to talk about today. This is the culture of the kingdom of God. It's an amazing thing to me to, to realize that Jesus really didn't come this is going to, no, hang on, don't throw me out yet. He really didn't come to change culture. He came to create a new culture. And he actually invites all the cultures of the world to decide whether they want to live within the new culture called the kingdom of God. And that's an amazing thing. <laughs> you know, the gospel, you guys, is not the forgiveness of sins. That's part of the gospel. But when Jesus preached in Mark and in the different chapters of the word of God and in the different gospels, this is what he said, repent and believe the good news for the gospel of the kingdom is upon you. The good news of the kingdom of God is upon you. Well, what is the kingdom of God? That's our question. If this is the gospel that you and I have been invited into, really to summarize it very briefly and, and to you know, kind of put it in one little pill thought, it's, it's actually this. God is inviting people to do life together with him. That's the good news. Will you allow me and let me come into your life and you live within my kingdom and my culture? So what is the culture of the kingdom of God like? Well, first of all, there's an authority and there's a government. 
And so this authority is Jesus Christ himself. He's the king of the kingdom. And by the way, the word kingdom means the king's domain. And so you are in a kingdom. You've been invited. There's a ruler of this kingdom. He is the king of kings. And why is he the king of kings? Because each one of you in this room are queens and kings of the kingdom. You've been invited to bring your kingdoms, your domain, your rulership, your authority, and live it out underneath the covering of the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful and incredible invitation. Listen to what it says about how important you really are. I love this scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. This is from the Message Bible. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in a deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Hallelujah. What an incredible thing. You've been invited to live your lives within the kingdom of God, to bring your dominion, your control, the areas that you rule over, to let them be lived out within the kingdom of God and experience God's help in running your kingdom. Whew. You know, it's an incredible thing, an incredible invitation to enter into life with God. And I'm going to tell you something I get in trouble for a few times for saying this, but just follow me for a moment. Um, God is the least controlling being in your life. If COVID has done anything, it has shown how out of control we are. Anyway. That's another sermon on the side. God isn't going to control you. He has given you dominion. He has given you authority. And what he wants to do is empower you to live your dominion out underneath his dominion. But it's your choice. You can keep doing your own thing. We've all figured that out. I don't know if you have. And usually it's not good. My decisions are not always the best of decisions at times. I want you to understand how incredibly non-controlling Jesus really was. Listen to the scripture from Philippians 2. It's talking about Jesus. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man... He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, God, but your will be done. He was bringing his dominion, his control underneath the control of God and saying, God, I submit to you even unto death. Incredible. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It's an incredible thing to understand. I want you to understand this because 
Jesus had all authority, all power. He knew that he had come from God. He knew that he was returning to God. And so what did he do? He got up and he served his disciples. He uncovered himself in order to serve others, which is an incredible thought. And yet then God did this. He exalted him to the highest place. I'm going to tell you that whatever you bring under the dominion of God in your life in this lifetime, you will not only rule here, but you will rule in eternity. That's an incredible thought. That God wants to multiply and bless you. And, and so submission is not a swear word in the kingdom of God. It's actually one of the greatest invitations for me to be empowered by God to live my life within his kingdom. This is the rulership and the authority that you have been invited into. Well, there's also a purpose and a mission to this kingdom not only to bring righteousness, peace, and joy in this world, but I love this scripture from Isaiah 61 because it just begins to paint a picture of what your authority is and what you bring to this world. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me and commissioned me to bring the good news to the humble and the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim release from confinement and condemnation to the physical and spiritual captives and freedom to the prisoners, the oil of joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. And it goes on and talks about this thing that you and I, you and I that take this invitation, that same anointing, that same presence that was upon Jesus when he brought the kingdom of God to this world, that same anointing is on you and I. And it goes on and describes the fact that you and I are oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, and the nations will restore the devastated places, the places that were long broken. This is your calling. This is who you are. This is whose you are. It's an incredible thing. But you don't start as an oak of righteousness. You start as a little seed. And you grow into this incredible calling of God as members of the kingdom of God to bring this incredible purpose to this world. Well, there's also citizenship in the kingdom, which obviously makes sense. We're invited to join the king in his kingdom, to bring, you know, the Bible says that you've been translated from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son of God that he, whom God loves. You've been translated from one kingdom, from one culture, and brought into a new culture, the culture of the kingdom of God. And it's a beautiful, incredible culture. It's a relational culture. Not only are you invited to live your life within the kingdom of God, you're also invited to become a son or a daughter of God. Right? To those who heard his voice, to those who he called out, that he gave the right to become children of God. I don't even, if we could fathom how incredible this is, it's one thing that I'm saved, it's one thing that I've been delivered from the broken cultures of this world, but now I've been invited into his culture, into his kingdom, and not only that, he gives me the whole thing and says, you are now going to be a co-heir with Christ and an heir of God. Whoo! This is good news. This is the gospel. This is what you and I are invited into, this incredible citizenship within the kingdom of God. But I want you to understand, I'm gonna go back for a second here. I'm having too much fun with this thing. There's a law in the kingdom. You're not lawless. 
right? When they, Jesus, they came to Jesus and asked him to explain the law of the kingdom of God, what did he say? You know, the greatest and the single, the most important commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two thoughts. This incredible attitude and understanding of what it means to love. And you and I live in a, in a culture that is, is beautiful. Its law is love. Now, do you understand, guys? One of the things in the last days, the Bible says that anything that can be shaken is being shaken. But the, what, what can't be shaken? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom that you're invited into, this is the message and this is our invitation to the world that we've been invited into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And God is saying to you and to me, in a world where the love of most is growing cold, you need to be filled with the love of God. You need to express the love of God in the midst of cultures that are broken and desperate and shaking, amen? This is what you're called into and this culture is all around you, church. We just don't even realize that we live in the culture of the kingdom of God. This culture holds Christ at the center. By the way, there is no culture if there is no king because God does not express his culture apart from himself. The culture is expressed in his presence. God doesn't give us things out of his culture. He is the culture of the kingdom. And when we are with him and abiding with him in relationship with him, we receive those gifts and those blessings. This is why it's so important for you to be a growing disciple and to allow the spirit of God to to bring you into relationship with God because through that relationship, all the gifts of the kingdom are yours and are mine. Wow. It's a kingdom culture empowered by the spirit of God. It's a kingdom culture of dependency. It's a culture of faith that accepts us right where we're at and yet calls us to be more. It's a culture of servanthood. It's a culture of hope, peace, joy, and righteousness and justice in this world. I love it. You see, citizens of the kingdom live under the government of the kingdom of God. Follow the laws of love. Oh, there it is live for the mission of the kingdom and live out a culture of the kingdom as seen in the fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit being displayed in their lives. That's pretty good news. So wherever you go, wherever you are, you bring the culture of the kingdom of God. Wow, what a job description. What do you do for a living? I am an ambassador of the kingdom of God and I represent God in this world. Really? What did you have have for breakfast? I had Wheaties, (laughs) breakfast of champions. You can can go crazy here. (laughs) Amen? Well, here's the question though. What are the challenges of living in a multicultural world? Because how many know there are challenges? You see, we are to live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. But yet here we are. We're to live and represent an alternative culture, a culture that is open to every other culture in the world. This is what you and I are called to be and to do. 
But what was Jesus's response to the kingdoms and the cultures that were around him? I want you to grasp some of these things because I, this is kind of an interesting thought for me. Jesus didn't necessarily aggressively condemn or criticize cultures around him. All he did was create another culture that he offered to the world. This is what he needs, you need to understand because we live in a day and age where we are, you know, we are being challenged to critique and to criticize and to come against the cultures that we see around us. And really, ultimately, as a pastor, I'm going to tell you, I get probably 30 videos a week sent to me saying, Pastor, you need to talk about this. Pastor, why aren't you talking more about this? Pastor, don't you see what's happening? And uh, you know what I say to everybody? I say, I'm looking at one culture and I'm moving toward it. That's all I'm doing. I I can't fix these cultures. I can't change them. I'm really not even compelled to do so. As a matter of fact, if I try to, I'm going to get off track, which I'm going to tell you in a minute, that's what they tried to do to Jesus. They tried to get Jesus to attack the culture around him. Think about it. They tried to get him to defy the two major cultures, one of them being Rome. And what did they do? They did multiple things, but one of the great stories in the Bible is when they said to him, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Now, do you understand? They're actually trying to get him in a cultural debate. And so Jesus is brilliant because, listen, if, they, if he says, um, yes, you should defy and not pay taxes to Caesar... You shouldn't listen to the government. Um, if he says that, then they're going to say, oh, he's seditious. He's coming against the government. That's terrible. You should kill him, Rome. But if he says, oh, by all means, you should pay taxes to Caesar, and uh, then they can say, oh, he's a friend of Rome. He's just a puppet of Rome. That's why he's saying all these things. So what does Jesus do? He comes up, and I love this. I, I, I believe this with all of my heart. I believe they thought Jesus, there was no answer. Whatever he said, they had him. I believe Jesus literally created an answer in that moment that did not exist before he spoke it. He says, bring me a coin. Whose portrait and whose inscriptions on it? And and he's looking at the coin, they pass him the coin, it's a picture of Caesar. They say, Caesar. And I, don't, I can't prove this, but in my mind's eye, Jesus is so cool, he must have done this. Flicked the coin back at them and said, then give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God's what is God's. Why would he say that? You are created in the image of God. You're an image bearer. This is the culture of the kingdom. Give your life to God. Who cares about the money? You understand that you're created in the image of God, so give him, there's inscriptions on you. You are, the portrait of God is on your life. You're an image bearer. Wow. I mean, talk about turning an answer upside down. Incredible, the culture of the kingdom manifesting. So then they come at him again, and this time they're trying to get him to defy the religious law. You know this story. They bring a woman to him caught in the act of adultery. I don't know where the man is, but that's a whole other story. Um, Caught in the very act, it says, and there she is. And they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses demands that she be stoned to death. What do you say? See, what they're doing is, again, they're trying to draw him into a cultural argument. Because if he says, oh no, let her go, let her go, she's a little sinner, let her go. 
If he says that, then they're going to say he has broken the law of Moses. He deserves to die. But if he says stone her, then all this teaching on the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God, the invitation of the kingdom of God to sinners to come in, all of it means nothing. So what does he do? They're standing around. Guys, you have to grasp the picture, the immensity, the weight of what is happening in the story. Put yourself into that story in the scripture. These men are holding stones in their hand, the size of their fist. The, the, the crowds are gathering. There is intense pressure happening. This woman is probably cowering and weeping. We know she's not looking. She's hiding because she's about to be stoned. And then what does Jesus do? You know, he's freaking out. No, he's not freaking out at all. He bends down and starts to write in the sand. These guys are like waiting for an answer. <laughs> and they're like, can you imagine the intensity of that moment? But Jesus is not of that culture. So then he stands up, the Bible says, and he says, oh, here's the answer. The one you didn't think of, the one I'm creating right now as I speak. Let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And then he bends down, the Bible says, and starts writing some more in the sand. Now we don't know what he wrote, but we do have a picture of what happened when the finger of God wrote on stone. The Ten Commandments. My estimation or my thought, you can take it or leave it, is I think he's writing, (laughs) he's looking at these men standing around with stones and he's writing their sins in the dirt. If you want to live by the law, then here it is. (laughs) Imagine Jesus looking at you and starting to write your sins. What's the first thing you're going to do? Drop your stone and walk away That's what they did. The Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away until no one was left but Jesus. And then he says to the woman, woman, where are your accusers? She's not even looking around you guys. She's so terrified. She looks up, they're all gone. A bunch of stones laying around her. (laughs) He says, "They're they're all gone, Lord. He says, then neither do I accuse you. Now go and live your, leave your life of sin. I don't think he was saying, now leave your life of sin. I think he was saying, I'm gonna empower you to leave your life of sin. I'm gonna give you the hope and the victory over this. Now, do you understand Jesus did not violate the law of Moses in that moment? Because the law of Moses required there be two witnesses if you're gonna stone somebody. They all left. (laughs) So he said, well, then I'm not gonna condemn you. There's not a second witness standing around anymore. How many of you know the kingdom of God is cool? How many of you know the king of the kingdom is cool? You're invited to be part of this kingdom with him. Think of who he invited into this. He invited women. In Jesus' day, women were property at best. They were thought to be soulless by some people. Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. These are members of the kingdom of God. I'm inviting them in. Elizabeth, Mary, Mary Magdalene. How about foreigners, wise women, the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well? How about outcasts, the disqualified, the lame, the shepherds, the lepers? How about sinners, this woman we're talking about, tax collectors? How about seniors and children? I love this, Simeon and Anna, seniors at the end of their days being called into the kingdom of God. How about the wealthy and the poor, Jew and Gentile alike? Listen to what it says in Galatians 3, 28. 
there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor they're male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Wow, what an invitation. I love this. Jesus wasn't concerned so much with trying to change culture as presenting and demonstrating a whole new culture. Guys, this is amazing. You know, you don't have to worry about trying to change culture. You don't have to worry about trying to fix everything that's wrong. All you need to do is sow seed and create a new culture that people say, I don't know what you have, but I want to be part of it. There's hope. The kingdom is open. You see, what's our response to the kingdoms? Because we're part of the kingdom of God, but what's our response to the cultures and the kingdoms that are around us? And I think there's been several over the years. And if you want to read about this more in detail, I would recommend Andy Crouch's book, Culture Makers. Um, he just writes a brilliant book about this. But he talks about these things. Number one, the church has at times condemned culture. We've seen that through the fundamentalist withdrawal. And, uh, you know, the thing is this, you can't, re- re- you can't withdraw from culture. You have to create a new alternative to that culture. So condemning of culture doesn't work. You know, we have a Christian school in our church and uh, we have a, a 1,900 homeschoolers under our Christian school or in some 50 or 60 kids that are in our, about 60 or 70 kids that are in our Christian school. And one of the things I tell parents is, you know, you're not putting your kid into the Christian school because you're so afraid of culture. You're putting your kids in the Christian school to create the culture of the kingdom of God in them so they can stand against anything in this world when they leave this place. Amen? Because, you know, the number one thing that happens when a kid turns 18 and gets some freedom, if he does not have the kingdom of God in him, he or she is leaving the kingdom. So we have to create this understanding that condemning culture does not work. How about critiquing culture? Now, I do critique culture, and we should critique culture. There are some things that are wrong with culture. Pornography is wrong. You should critique it. You should say this is not a good thing. But I'm telling you, throughout history, the church has made stands on certain things, and all they've done, like examples, is they've sold more movies. You know, they're critiquing a movie that comes out, and they're saying this is terrible, this doesn't represent the kingdom of God. They never planned on representing the kingdom of God. Why does the church think that the world's going to act like the church? So what we do is we sell more tickets, because now suddenly we're promoting that this is not what God wants. Somehow people think, that's good. I want to know what God doesn't want. So critiquing culture is not always good, is it? How about copying culture? We've done this one in spades. <laughs> Sometimes we run churches like businesses. Sometimes we cater to the consumer culture rather than calling people to a consecrated lifestyle. We've done that, you know? And so at times we've copied culture and there's some things that you should, that aren't bad. Like I like a great concert, so I'm okay with some of the copying that happens in the church, but we have to be careful. We have to be led by the spirit of God, not just create and copy culture, amen? So here's the worst one, saved it for last and that's what we do. How about when we just consume culture? Consuming of culture. You see the dominant posture of self-described evangelicals today toward culture is neither condemning nor critiquing, but simply consuming culture. We've done that, haven't we? I've done it. 
As a matter of fact, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm just going to repent on stage right now. I'm leaving here shortly after tonight, so I'm okay. Um, Forgive me. I've done all those things. I've critiqued culture. I've condemned culture. I've copied culture. I've even consumed culture. But you know what? It leaves me empty. And it leaves me longing for more. Why? Because everything in this world, every culture is now shaking. And so I now am being asked by God to build my life on the culture of the kingdom of God. This is it. I told our church, we began a journey this last year. I said, guys, the only thing I can offer you is discipleship. You must turn from the cultures of this world and follow the culture of the kingdom. So we're on a year-long journey of discipleship. And you know what's coming out? It's awesome. Stuff is coming out of our lives. And that's not a bad thing. Now, there's an amazing scripture in Romans chapter one. Many cultures in our world today would love to tear Romans chapter one right out of the Bible. Because it basically is some of the most incredible teaching on what a culture looks like when it moves away from God. And so when you read verse 18 and on, it's like this journey toward destruction. And I'm going to tell you, it is living, that scripture is alive today. It's literally being lived out in our, in our presence. And so the problem with Greg Fraser is he reads Romans chapter 1 and he starts to cheer. Because he's like, this is, you tell them, Paul, they're bad, godless heathen. Woo! Tell him, Paul. Now, the problem with that is Romans chapter 2. That's the problem with Romans chapter 1. Because look what Paul says next. He literally catches us. He says, therefore, you have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Greg Fraser forgets that 30 plus years ago, he was in the culture of the world. And when he was 21 years old, he went to his sister-in-law's baptism And the preacher in a church of several hundred people started to point right at him and say, young man, the spirit of God is upon you. And he is calling you from the kingdom of this darkness into the kingdom of light. And will you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your savior? You see, I came as a broken human being. I came with all kinds of cultural narratives that were false. And I forgot that. And I can forget that as a Christian now that I've been 30 years walking with the Lord. How many of you know I'm different than I was 30 years ago? And sometimes I can start condemning people and feeling, oh, they're so bad. Well, of course they're bad. They don't have the power of the spirit of the living God helping them to live well. And so this is the invitation for you and for me. So Pastor Greg, if I'm not meant to condemn culture or critique it or consume it, what am I meant to do? Well, here it is. You're to cultivate and create culture. 
The only way to change culture, listen to me carefully, the only way to change culture is to create more of it. You have to create a culture that is so inviting, that is so savory and sweet and beautiful and invitational and that everybody around you will say, I want whatever you have. That's what God is calling us to be like. And he's coming to a place, and I'm not saying this to condemn you, church. I really, I beg you to hear me right now. You know, God is not even condemning you where you're critiquing culture or where you're you're consuming culture or you're copying culture. What he's saying is it won't work. And what's happening even in the church today, you know, after the pandemic, churches are saying they're 30% down and all that stuff. What's going on? God is shaking things. He's shaking things and he's removing rubble and he's showing us where we're not living in the kingdom of God. And our response is not to try to fix that. Our response is to say, yes, Lord, show me where I'm not living in the kingdom of God and help me to accept that. That's, by the way, the word repentance, change your thinking, amen. God is saying, just acknowledge that and together we're gonna remove that and we're gonna change that area of your life. This is what it means to create culture, cultivate it. (laughs) This is a great scripture about cultivation. It says, therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without a fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Church, this is the most exciting time in the history of the world to be in the kingdom of God. I tell my, I mean, this is a terrible thing for a father to say to his kids. They're grown now, but I used to say things like, you know, even if you're average in the kingdom, you're gonna be so amazing in this world. (laughs) You You don't even have to aim that high. Just be in the kingdom of God and man, you are the most, most sought-after employee in the world. By the way, I talked to all my business guys. It's crazy. They're like, I cannot find employees. When they find an employee who lives in the kingdom of God and represents the kingdom of, of God, they say that's the last person that's going to be fired from my company. Because they know that you bring a life and an anointing and a blessing upon you in your life. And so what are you doing? You know that word, work out your salvation. It's an interesting word. You know what? It literally means cultivate. Turn the soil. (laughs) Turn the soil of your life. So, you know, when I tell you things that are happening today and the Spirit of God may be pointing out some things in you, it's not to condemn you. It's actually to help you to move the rocks out of your life. You know, I tell the story in the first service that I would go every year to my grandpa's farm. And I was a city boy, but we go and serve. That was vacation, according to my dad. We're going to grandpa's farm. And uh, <laughs> that's old school. And um, there would be rocks in the field. So we, grandpa would drive the tractor, and there would be a little buggy, and we'd pick the rocks and put them in. And I'm like, teenager, this is not fun, grandpa. Let's shoot some more gophers. That was kind of the, sorry, that's another thing. But anyway, so you know, that's the other thing we had to do. Anyway, so you're putting rocks in the cart, you're putting rocks in the cart, and you do the whole field, and there's this great feeling of satisfaction. Wow, we did it, Grandpa, amazing. Went back the next year, 
all the rocks were back in the field. And I literally turned to my grandpa, I said, are you serious? Like, did you put the rocks back in the field, grandpa? That's not what you do. <laughs> I had no idea, city boy. Do you understand when he cultivates, when he turns the soil, it's drawing stuff out of your life and out of the ground. Church, don't be, it's okay when God is showing you the boulders that are in your life. I've, I've walked this journey for a while and I'm telling you, I think I've got it all going on and I, I'm just, I'm so awesome. I'm so incredible. You're so lucky to have me. And I turn the corner of my life and there is a boulder standing there. And I, I'm trying to cover it with dirt and like, it's not there, God, I'm blaming the wife you gave to me. That one is the one who did this. She's seeing right now, she knows. She knows it's not true. So what's your job from this point on? You're to cultivate and create culture. Stop worrying about all the things that everybody around you is doing wrong. Just live in such a way that they look at you and say, wow. You see, we're cultivating all the time. You don't realize it. Do you understand just by attending church, just by watching online, you're cultivating the kingdom. There's other things you could be doing, but you're here. You're, you're, you're here and, and God is cultivating things in you. And even when things bother you, you know, one of the things I said in the first service, one of the things that we hate about COVID that God loves is this, it's exposing stuff in our life. I'm an unsubmitted person at times. It's a free one, just put that one aside. Forget I said it. But you, I have to acknowledge these things before the Lord. I don't like... Okay, let me give you some practical things. You're going to church, you're cultivating. You know, when you sow the seed of the word of God in your life, you're cultivating the kingdom. You can't change yourself. Greater people than you have tried. <laughs> there are some funny stories. Look up the pole-sitting saints. There... <laughs> There are people laughing that have looked up the pole sitting saints. 35 years, this guy sits on top of a pole, 90 feet in the air, three foot in diameter, thinking he's doing, he's genuflex, he fasts twice, this guy's crazy, he fasts two 40 day seasons a year on a pole for 36 years. I just picture this poor guy going to heaven and Jesus saying, dude, that was not the kingdom of God. <laughs> there. Anyway. Okay, uh, you just, I'm gonna leave you this, guys. Guys, I gotta give you a little hint. The kingdom of God is agricultural in nature. It is not mechanical. Why is that important for you to know? Because men, their life is broken. Swap, broken, part put in new part, life not broken. How many of you know that doesn't work? Life still broken, what is happening? What is going on? Because the kingdom of God is agricultural. Life broken, you have to sow seed <laughs> into death and then pray over it, water it with the word. Everybody's like, your life's broken, I know trying to wait for this to grow. 
It's like, fertilize it, pray for it. God, then finally a little twig comes out. Don't get too desperate. It's not fruitful yet. This is your life, guys. That's, do you understand how much God loves you? That he accepts you even though he knows every boulder in your life, every stubborn thought, every broken area of your life. He's like, I pick you. And the angels of God are like, what are you thinking, Father? I wouldn't pick most of you. I wouldn't pick me. But it's a, I'm a demonstration of the kingdom of God and the goodness of God. The life of God. There's many good things, you guys, I could talk about. Let me finish with this one. Oh my goodness, tithing is a good one. Tithing is your declaration of independence from the world and dependency upon God. It's free, just put that out there. But love, love is the fulfillment of obligations that arise from relationships. You are to love every person you meet, but you have different obligations to every person you meet. We can do that. That's what it means to be in the kingdom. I'm gonna tell you a story. And then Pastor Paul's gonna come and close us. So my wife, she's just an amazing cultivator of the kingdom of God. She lives her life in love. That's what she does. And um, she was working at a senior's home as the senior's activity coordinator. And there was, you know, this one senior that just really loved her, clung to her a little bit, but he was a tough cookie. His name was Don. And Don was a World War II veteran, one of the few surviving um, D-Day invasion veterans. But Don would say, like, he was a hard case. He'd say, my heart is as black as tar. And Don was tough to get along with for everybody. But he loved Betty. So he came into Betty's office, and she said, Don, how are you doing today? And he's like, I'm really lonely. She's like, oh, Don, you're... He said, and then he said this. I just sometimes think I should just walk out in front of a truck and end it all. Nobody would care. And she said, Don, I would care. He said, why? He said, because you're my friend and I love you. Do you? Really? Yeah, 93 years old. Never heard that. Never had a friend. So she said, Don, why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you come to church with me? I'll pick you up. I'll come every week and I'll pick you up and I'll take you to church with me. And he said, she said she left it with him and he phoned her that week or texted her and said, okay, I think I'm going to try that church thing. So there was Don coming in down the aisle and he has a little walker, 93 years old. And uh, he would sit in the front row. And for a year, Don sat in the front row every week, Betty would pick him up and he would listen to the word of God. 93, now he's 94. He gives his heart to the Lord at 94 years old. Don said he had nightmares every night of his life from the war, from the time of the war until he was 93 years old. The kingdom of God changed his life. Hallelujah. That was my wife cultivating and sowing one seed Don, you're my friend. There's something better for you. Amen? We did Don's funeral last year, 95. What a triumph 
to be able to stand over that man who claimed to have a heart as black as tar, now a child of God living in the kingdom of God. God bless you, Pastor Paul. Man, why don't we stand? Thank you, Greg. Sorry, I called him Greg Morin because he's from Morinville. It's Greg Fraser. You know, we can hear great message. That was a great message. I, and, I, and I'm saying this. I mean, that's exactly what we need to hear. It's about the gospel. It's not about what's happening out there. It's about what's happening in here. If we get it right in our lives and we become those powerful image bearers, can you imagine the, the impact it's going to have on the people's lives around us? You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm just one person. What difference will it make? How many people can I really touch? Do you know Jesus focused in on 12 people? One of them didn't turn out good, but we already know that story. But 11 of them, ordinary people, and listen, I've read the gospel so many times, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'd have never picked these guys. I'm with you, Greg. Wow, they were dull. They did not get most of what was going down. How many know that's true? They, they, they were slow on the uptake. But then I realized, sometimes I'm really slow on the uptake. And I go, really? I'm just getting this now? So I can't be too hard on those guys because I see some of their characteristics in my life. But you know what happened? Those 11 people were sent out in the power of the Spirit and they changed the whole world. Isn't that amazing? That is so incredible to me. You and I wouldn't be here if they had disobeyed Jesus and had not understood that it wasn't about beating up Rome, fighting Romans, because that's what a lot of the Jewish people did afterwards, and they all got killed. These 11 people went out and changed the world with the gospel. That's what we're about. Thank you, Greg, for coming and reminding us this is what it's about. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to what? Save it. So let's pray right now. You know, I was just thinking about all those boulders in our lives. There's probably a few things right now the Spirit of God is just kind of putting his finger on. He goes, hey, that's got to go. And a lot of times it's just attitudinal things. Isn't that true? We get the wrong attitude. I'm, I'm just not thinking the right way about this. And when we have the wrong attitude, it ends up translating in wrong behavior. I say the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing. But let's right now, with every head bowed, how many here like to say, you know what, Pastor? Before Almighty God, there are a few attitudes that I know are not right in my life. And with an uplifted hand, I'm giving my wrong attitude, my boulder, my rock that's in my, the cultivated field of my soul. I'm just going to give this attitude to God. Listen, I got my hand up because, you know, there's always things in our lives that God goes, well, what about this? Or what about that? Let's just give those things to God. Maybe you've been struggling with temptation or habits or attitude stuff. Let's just give them to God today. We're, we're, we're actually doing agricultural work today. We're just taking the rocks out of the field of our soul. We're just saying, hey, okay, God, we're putting it on that cart. Let's get rid of that stuff. We need your help to do it. We're not capable of doing it. We can just tell you we're wrong. We need your forgiveness. We need your power to change in our lives. And we thank you, Father, for taking our wrong, broken-hearted attitudes, actions, thoughts. And Lord, we just give them to you today. Would you come today with your cleansing grace?
grace. Would you come today and forgive us and cleanse us and empower us and help us to be amazing image bearers. Help us to love the people you're bringing into our life. Even if we don't agree with half of what they're doing, it doesn't matter. We're out to reflect your love to them, Father. And I just pray that this year we will see more people come to faith in Christ because we were the gospel to that person. We brought the gospel by incarnation. We revealed your kingdom because of our lives. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.